Hey there, I'm Joshua Sheehan. Welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. The RV Entrepreneur is a community for RVers that are exploring ways to financially support themselves while living their RV life. And today we have the pleasure of talking with Chris Reed from the YouTube channel Why Not RV. Chris is a Marine veteran who took a leap one year to change careers and can now live a life of freedom and adventure. His only professional schooling after high school was HVAC school. Everything else has been self-taught, and Chris loves to share his knowledge through education in hopes of helping other RVers prevent some very costly mistakes or repair bills down the road. Chris is a full-time RVer and an insurance adjuster by day, but it's that job that spurred his entrepreneurial endeavors and allows him to create educational content for YouTube. It's a super interesting conversation and a really cool spin on the entrepreneurial journey of allowing Chris to, well, I'll let him explain it. Now, if you missed a special announcement and you're listening to this in current time, the RV Entrepreneur Summit is happening. Tickets went on sale last Friday, and they'll be on sale until August 1st, 2022. The summit is going to be happening in Montrose, Colorado, September 7th through 11th, and we've got an awesome lineup of speakers and an awesome lineup of topics that they're going to be presenting on. Having all these community members in one spot talking about connecting through community and how different businesses can add to the community and add value, it's super excited. I'm really excited for this event. It's going to be a great time. If you want more information, go to the RVEntrepreneur.com and click on the Summit tab at the top. It'll give you all the details. Ticket prices are $325 per person. And then we got boondocking available at the campground. We're having it at the campground that Heath and Alyssa owned. It's now owned by Scott and Taylor, and it's called the Campers Hub. So we're having it again at the same location that was held last year at the Campers Hub in Montrose, Colorado. And because it's a campground under construction, we're not going to be promising any hookup sites. So it's going to be boondocking only as it was last year. However, we're going to have fresh water fill, RV dump station, and trash service available this time. And that's going to be $120 for the four nights of boondocking. You'll go through and you'll register each person for the summit on the website. And then after the confirmation link comes through, there will be a link on there to get a hold of the camper sub and secure your boondocking spot. Again, those will be on sale until August 1st, 2022. And there's only 100 spots available. So if you're interested in coming, make sure you register the event as soon as possible. Before we jump into the episode, let's take care of our sponsors. The RV Entrepreneur Podcast is brought to you in part by RV Life Pro. Perfect for every RVer, you can plan your camping trips with RV Life Trip Wizard, then use the RV Safe Navigation and the RV Life GPS and Campgrounds app. Both are included in RV Life Pro. Eliminate RV anxiety by knowing exactly where you'll camp, get fuel, and even grab lunch before you ever hit the road. RV Life has every campground, RV park, state park, and national park to fit your style. Plan your entire RV adventure, including fuel stops, rest areas, shopping, and entertainment. Go to RVLife.com and start your free 7-day trial. Or download the RV Life app from the App Store. Travel dreams made simple with RV Life. And now let's jump into the episode with Chris and have him tell us how insurance adjusting turned into an entrepreneurial venture that has now funded his RV for his RV travels. Chris, welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm excited to have you on today. You just hit the road full time and I'm really interested to talk with you and figure out how you've been able to support yourself and getting ready for getting on the road. Let's go back a little bit though and talk to me who is Chris and give me a little backstory of what you've done in the past and how you got to where you are today. I appreciate you having me on here Josh. So my name's Chris. I have a channel called Why Not RV. I started that YouTube channel about two and a half years ago just because I was doing projects on my first RV and looking online just a lot of tutorials and videos that I would come across seemed to be missing a lot of information or it would cut screen to then boom here's the project done and it's like well wait, how'd that happen? So <laughs> I felt that I was 
I, I've always loved education. I was, well, I was in the Marine Corps for about 10 years. Part of that career, I was a martial arts instructor. I loved teaching. It's just something that I really enjoy. So I felt like I could kind of carry that skill set into making videos on DIY installs, how-tos, and just overall education in the RV world while I learn. And hopefully other people can learn from my mistakes and I can learn from other people's mistakes and still make those videos to, to help people make less mistakes while they're on the road. And so is YouTube funding your entire travels? Are you making full-time income in that? Or are you still having nine to five? So YouTube is definitely supporting the travel. It is definitely not the, the full full bore of, of how we can travel, but it is technically how I bought my new RV. Once my channel reached a certain point last year uh, and I was making enough income, I said to myself, well, this income can actually make a payment for a new RV. And we'd been wanting an RV. We were looking for good deals on used stuff because that's kind of my, my thing. I, I like finding good deals. Long story short, we ended up custom ordering a brand new RV. My YouTube income paid for that monthly payment. So that was kind of how I was able to justify it because realistically the YouTube income before that wasn't anything that I was counting on. I am a disabled veteran, so I do have money coming in every month from the the VA for, for that, which is an awesome support. But my full-time career is a catastrophe insurance adjusting, which means I go and work when there's major, major catastrophes. And I work 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week for anywhere from two weeks to three or four months, you know, depending. But then I take the rest of the year off. Sounds like RV travel is well suited to that. You can just entirely take your home to wherever the, the catastrophe is and set up a base camp and then not have to live out of a hotel. Was that the impetus for getting into RVing or were you RVing before that, before you got into this career? No. So they actually kind of went hand in hand. My girlfriend and I kind of both made the jump from our previous careers, which I was an HVAC technician. And uh, she was actually kind of a little entrepreneur herself and was had a couple small businesses that she was running. But we made that leap into the catastrophe insurance world at the same time that we wanted to start traveling. And we essentially quit our jobs. She shut down the business. I quit HVAC. And uh, we started RVing for several months in the summer. And then knowing that come that uh, late summertime frame was going to be hurricane season and we would be going to work. That's pretty much how, how it went down. And once we started working, like, like you just said, the RV goes hand in hand with it versus staying at a hotel, having to eat out, having to spend all this money when you're in those environments, it's taking away because you, you, you don't get paid off your expenses. Like you get paid a certain amount and your expenses are your expenses. There's no mm -hmm. additional allowances or anything like that. So the, whatever way you can save money, just means more money in, in your pocket. What did you do in the Marine Corps? So my first enlistment, I was actually military police, and I deployed four times in less than four years, pretty much back to back to back. I was only stateside for about 16 months out of four years. After that segment, I changed careers to air traffic control, did air traffic control for the next um, four or five years after that. And that's when I also did martial arts instructing was during that time. Appreciate your service, Chris. Absolutely. It so my wife, Coley, was, did 20 years in the Air Force. I know quite a few military folk. I can totally understand wanting to switch from military police out into a different career field. The tempo and the deployment schedule is just insane in that career field versus many others. Getting into oh, yeah. air traffic controlling seems like a really cool job. And all the air traffic controllers that I've met have decided to then go into air traffic controlling outside the military. What was the thought? behind you not doing that? 
Yeah. So I actually uh, originally was planning that. That was part of my my life goal was to get out of the Marines and join air traffic control um, for the FAA and go to work as a civilian. And I did get hired and they offered me positions in Pensacola area or Port St. Lucie, Florida, where it's the closest that I could be. And I'd moved back home to Clearwater, Florida at the time. And I thought to myself, okay, if I take one of these jobs, I'm a minimum of three hours away from my family. I've been away from my family and more specifically my nephews. I have four nephews. And when I joined the Marine Corps, I had one nephew who was one year old. And now 10 years later, getting out of the Marines, I had four nephews that were at the time, 11, nine, seven. And then the baby was like two. Mm -hmm. So I I wanted more family time. I did not want to have to drive three hours on a weekend when I have two days off, come see them for a few hours, uh, you know, a week if I was lucky. It, it, it was a, a big risk. Um, I had a couple family members telling me I was a little crazy for, for not accepting that job and not sticking to air traffic control. But I couldn't be happier now at this point in life. At the time, yes, it was very scary. And it was like going from that to HVAC work. Uh, big difference. you know. How did you land on HVAC? I landed on HVAC because a couple of my uncles do HVAC work. They always did HVAC work. And I'm just a mechanical kind of person. I just, I like getting my hands dirty. I like doing doing work with my hands. I like fixing things. And I know that in the HVAC field, you kind of learn a little bit about electricity, a little bit about plumbing, and then of course, refrigeration and HVAC specific, which is the big thing that most homeowners don't do. You know, a lot of homeowners can fix a lot of things at their house. You know, they got plumbing leaks, they got little electrical issues, they can change out an outlet, they can do that. But if their AC breaks down, they're calling somebody. 99% of homeowners are calling somebody. And so I figured if I could learn that skill set and have the my GI bill pay for that schooling, why not? You know, and that's why I got into the HVAC industry originally. Then take me one step further. How did you decide that you're going to switch and do insurance adjusting? Um, yeah, so that was actually just from meeting one of my one of my cu- customers in, in the HVAC world. I, I just, the way we interacted, um, I don't know if it was how he liked how I spoke to him or, or whatever it was, but he basically told me, about insurance adjusting and was like, I feel like you'd make, make a really good adjuster because these people um, going through these catastrophe times, extremely heartfelt times are very emotional. You have a very wide range of how people react to either completely losing their home or even just having one minor thing happen on their home from, from you know, other part of the roof blew off, but they're perfectly safe, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone reacts to things completely differently and you have to have a lot of empathy and be able to, you know, show support to these people, but at the same time, get the job done without it affecting your own emotion. And that is basically how I, how I got into it was he, he just talked to me and told me about that and how he felt that I, I had that type of personality to succeed in the catastrophe insurance world, because you really do have to have a, a very specific type of personality to be able to handle all those emotions coming at you every day and hearing all these negative, horrible stories that occur during these times and still get your job done and not really be emotionally affected by it because it's, it's rough. Yeah, I can imagine. And I can imagine you're seeing things at their worst and people at their worst as well. And that's got to be tough to then come in and say, Hey, I'm here to help you. But in order to help you, we have to do this very unemotional paperwork and photos and we have to document everything. It's very mechanical. Being the person to bring that empathy to a mechanical process is something that I can definitely tell it's something that you're passionate about and you're good at because I think it's something that would be hard to balance. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it, it is extremely difficult to balance, especially after a few weeks of 14 hours a day, losing sleep, you know, and you're just falling behind on work and you're just trying to get one inspection done. And then you have, like I said, some people, they, they're fine and they just talk to you and they're like, oh yeah, here's the damage. Here's our photos or whatever. This is what we got. And then other people just, they see you and they instantly break down um, because mm-hmm. you're the first person that's there to actually help them. And they just break down and you have to be there for them. That's part of that customer service for whatever insurance carrier I'm representing at the time. And I have to have to maintain that balance. It's very difficult. All right. So I got two follow-up questions on the insurance then. One, do you work for a specific adjuster company that then takes contracts from different insurance companies that need to file claims? Or are you 100% a contractor that goes to you know the insurance adjuster marketplace and, and grabs contracts when they they come up? How does that all work? Yeah. So there's, there is a couple of ways that that works. I and mean, it does work both those ways you just said. I, I have two main companies that I work for. One is basically a direct, not sure the right, the right word, I guess a, a direct subcontractor for State Farm. And so when, you know, a catastrophe hits, State Farm reaches out to these four or five different companies and say, Hey, we need 300 adjusters, 200 adjusters, 100 adjusters, whatever it is. And then they send us out there and we Basically, our State Farm employees, it, it, the customer thinks that we work for State Farm full time. You know, that's kind of the representation that we we have to come up with. I, I wear State Farm T-shirts and, and hats and a State Farm badge and all that kind of stuff. And then there's another company I work for that is more similar to what that first thing you said, where they get a bunch of claims from various insurance carriers. It could be national insurance, citizens insurance, multiple carriers, and we have to go out there and we're independent adjusters. Customers know that we're independent adjusters and we basically submit the claim, go through the process and we just submit it to that carrier. Whereas in State Farm, we make the decisions. I actually make a decision on how I'm paying somebody um, up to a certain amount. You know, of course, they, they give us authority for a certain value sure. dollar amount. And if it goes over that, we have to request authority. But these other companies, we don't make any decisions. We just make a recommendation to the company that insurance company, and then they pay them from there. But we, we're not really fully involved at that point. And so what, is a, what does your job entail? When you go to a claim site, what happens? Yeah, start to finish, realistically, I'm there to evaluate the damages and get you paid on those damages. That's, that's what I'm primarily there to do. Now, that does also include your personal contents, what's called ALE or additional living expenses. Let's just say, for example, you had a tree fall through your house from a hurricane. I'm going to come out there. I'm going to document all the damages. I'm going to measure a whole lot of stuff to basically rebuild your home to how it was before the storm. Then I take all that information. I go back and I start working on the estimate. I build up the estimate to whatever the dollar amount is. If it's within my authority, I just pay it. Right? If it's like small stuff, a window broke and the water got in the bedroom and you're only looking at $10,000 in damage, then I can usually get you paid probably in a few days. But if we're talking dollars $80,000, $100,000 worth of damage, I have to send that up for approval. State Farm approves it. Cool. Gets me back. And then I can get you paid on what's called coverage A, which is the, the home itself. And then again, same thing. I have to document contents damage, everything that was damaged that was your contents, personal contents. Same process. Estimate its value which was a whole lot of stuff about if you have any receipts or where you purchased it from, or you can show me how much this particular thing costs, document all that, 
same process. If it's in, in my authority, I can just pay it. If I have to ask State Farm or whomever for authority, we send it up. And then uh, again, the last thing is coverage C, which is ALE, additional living expenses. So if you had a tree falling through your house, obviously you can't live in that house anymore. So you have to go to a hotel or an Airbnb or something, renting a camper. I, I try and tell people all the time that they can rent campers. You know, we'll pay for that additional living expenses. And it's the same thing. I have to figure out what they were paying before the storm and what they're paying now after, right? If, if there's no power, they don't have an electric bill. So let's say they were paying $200 a month in electric, and now they're renting uh, a camper, let's just say, and they're having to pay $400 a month in electric. Well, you were paying 200 now you're paying 400 So I'm going to pay you the additional 200 Does that make sense? Yeah. So I have to figure all that out, which is a process <laughs> and I'm very sure. time consuming. And a lot of people get upset sometimes when, when things don't work out in their favor, but I just, I, I can only go off of what you're showing me and what, what you're able to provide me. Mm -hmm. It sounds like majority of the, the claims that you're working with are homes. Have you ever done RVs? No, I don't, I don't do RVs. Although I have thought about it. It's just the, the real money to be made is in commercial. And that's actually, I, last year I started working commercial large loss, which also involves some pretty big residential homes, basically anything over $150,000 worth of damage estimated. Basically prior, prior going out, if someone calls into State Farm and they talk to someone over the phone and that person evaluates and says, okay, this is going to be at least $150,000 worth of damage. It got sent to my team, which is that large loss team. And we work the residential large loss and commercial large loss. So I guess since we're on this topic, out of personal curiosity, is there anything that as a insurance policy holder, people can do beforehand to make a claim process easier and more encompassing? Oh, 150%. <laughs> the, the best thing someone can do, especially if you live in those areas that are prone to hurricanes or hail or tornadoes, whatever it is is before you have a major storm, like right now, go out, get a hard drive, go through your home, take pictures of everything of value. And I, when I say value, I mean $100 minimum and above, TVs, computers, expensive light fixtures, right? I mean, just things that you spent money on. Take pictures of them, try and find a receipt for that, and put it all in a file, all on a hard drive. And if you have all that stuff, and, and let me backtrack a little bit. Also, take pictures of your home. Take pictures of all the rooms, of the exterior of the house, of your fencing, of your sheds, your outbuildings, whatever you have. Take pictures from normal life because the day that a hurricane comes, your house does not look the same anymore. And it's very difficult for an insurance adjuster to rebuild a home that you don't know what it used to look like. You know, the, the fencing was literally just splintered and is gone. Well, I had a really custom fence builder build this thing. It's this a forty thousand dollar fence. Well, do you have any pictures of it? No. Right. Okay, so how can I? My, the aerial shots that you see from from Google and whatnot, I can't tell that it's anything other than just a wooden fence. You know, I can't mm -hmm. tell that it's handcrafted and really extensive. So yeah, as homeowners, just document as much as you possibly can. Over document beforehand, so that when something does happen your adjuster has something to go off of to be able to put you back to how you were. Are photos preferred over video? Not necessarily. You can definitely do video as well. Photos are just easier to work with and easier to like submit up the, submit up the chain, right? Like if I have a mm -hmm. video of something 
yes, that's awesome. It tells me a story. But when I go to submit that up to higher ups in State Farm or whomever, it's very difficult for them to be watching videos all the time, right? Sure. Whereas if I can just show, here's a picture. This shows the, the like kind and quality of build materials that they had throughout the home. Here's 10 pictures showing the different types of crown molding and the really fine texture that they had on the walls and you know, this really pr- beautiful built-in. And it, that kind of right there just paints a picture like, okay, if these people paid for this type of stuff in their home, then it's reasonable to believe that the rest of the home had similar type of quality materials, right? Cabinets, kitchen faucet, your bathroom furniture or bathroom um, sink and vanity and countertop. You know, someone says, oh, I had an $8,000 countertop. You're like, well, do you, you got a picture of that or any way mm-hmm. I can, I can say that it was $8,000 because the rest of your house looks like you bought it from Home Depot. And it's like, how can, how can we say this was custom built? This one piece was custom built. You know, so it's, it's very difficult if you don't have pictures. Yeah, that's really good. You know, us moving with the military, taking pictures before a PCS is something that you just, you do, but I never thought about the, the hard fixtures, taking pictures of light fixtures or crown molding or countertops, things like that, that obviously if you had a catastrophic loss, you'd want to prove that the, this, what the structure was worth. But I think whenever people say, take photos of your stuff. A lot of people think of tangible, not tangible things, but like movable items, things that you could pack up into a box and move with you to a next location. But it's really good to hear that having pictures of the physical structure is also important because you're right. If you add up all the chandeliers or light fixtures in your house, that's quite a bit of money to replace. And having proof of a $300 light fixture versus a $70 light fixture adds up when you've got a catastrophic loss. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So RVing leads to taking you to where your jobs are, where the locations are. How often are you moving? So for work, we typically are hardly ever moving. And we, we get to a job and we're there for, like I said, at least a few weeks, typically two to three weeks at a bare minimum, and then upwards of two to three months. You're, you're there, you're not going anywhere. Now, depending on the storm and where you get assigned claims, like I'll give you my last year, for example, I worked Hurricane Ida in Southern Louisiana. And when we first got the call for work was actually before the storm even hit. They said, you know, this, this storm is coming. It's going to be a big cap four storm. It's going to do a lot of damage. And so we moved, we went out to Dallas, Texas to a training facility and we're there for a few days while the storm was basically coming through and hitting. And they just, you know, just were teaching some adjusters, some, some new things and things to look for and this and that. Uh, so we were there for a few days and then the storm comes through. And now depending on where it hit, it depends on how close you can get a camper to it, right? So we moved to Lafayette originally, which is about an hour and a half normal drive time to the greater New Orleans area of where a lot of my claims were at. And so we knew we had to get closer. So as soon as we were able to, as soon as a a, a campground was opening up a position, we got in closer and we got into more like the heart of New Orleans and was staying at a campground there. We're at a place not really ideal camping conditions. You, you just, you get a lot of trying to think of the, the best word to use, but you, it's not a typical, like a KOA, right? It's just mm-hmm. whatever spot you can find is, is worth it to get in there and just, and have something. But again, after these storms come through, you have no water, no electricity, no nothing for sometimes a few weeks. And so depending on the RV uh, or your style of living, you might not, want to go in that close because I had, I had to run my generator 24 hours a day, seven days a week for about 
week and a half, almost two weeks. It was like, 12, I think it was 12 or 13 days before we finally got power on at that campground. And this was obviously before I have my new Montana and the solar and whatnot, but uh, that generator usage and gasoline and going into the gas stations where everyone in Louisiana is trying to get gas for their generators, for their homes. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty difficult and you don't want to take away from the, the local resources. You know, these people that are just, they're trying to save their refrigerator and that's why they're running a generator, trying to save their couple mm -hmm. thousand dollars worth of food. And so I'm standing in line getting gas while they're getting gas. And it's like, yes, I'm here to help you. So it's okay. But at the same time, my whole goal and why I built my Montana the way I built it was to not impact the local community whatsoever and be able to actually get really close to my claims without issue. So it sounds like you getting in close to claims is beneficial for you. It allows you to have a more productive work day and it then allows you to get more claims done and help people faster. So RVing sounds like it's a perfect setup for that. You, you can bring your own electricity, you can bring your own water, your housing, all that. Did that situation of having to run your generator that whole week to, to power your home, how much did that play into your new RV and how you set it up? Because the solar setup that you've put on this rig is like no other that I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it really did put a, a really big goal for, for myself, for what I wanted to do. I'd been, I'd been planning the, the Montana build for, well, I shouldn't say planning. I'd been dreaming the Montana build for a little over a year, basically ever since I first put solar onto my last RV, which was 2013 Heartland Big Country. And I had 1200 Watts of solar on there. And it it's great. That, that amount of solar is, is awesome. If you can stay in good weather and you don't need to run your air conditioner all day, but working in Southern Louisiana, in August, <laughs> it really puts a, a very eye-opening experience of, okay, this solar is not going to do basically anything for me <laughs> at this point. And that's, that's when I decided to really overkill the Montana build that I was doing. Because originally I was going to do more solar than the, than the last one, but not nearly as much as what I have on there now. And yeah, it, it definitely kicked me into overdrive to say, all right, I'm going to outfit this thing to basically be able to go into the deepest part of the community, um, you know, a church parking lot, bam, I, I got open sky, I can have the unlimited power and I can be right there at my claims because this last deployment when I was where we were sitting at in Louisiana, I had claims that were about an hour away from me in the morning. And in the evening, I was driving three to four hours back to the RV because you have tree guys, you have linemen, you have all these different contractors going in and out, roofers, other adjusters. And um, down there in the Bayou, Louisiana, it's, you know, a, a simple two lane highway in and out. And when there's traffic, it just backs you up so much. And it just, it took away so much time for me to be on the computer working so much so that my girlfriend decided that she was going to start to come with me and drive for me so that I could start being on the computer um, on the way back to the RV. And it was just, it was just not ideal. It's like, man, if I could just be sitting in this church parking lot right now with unlimited power, I mean, that would just be the most ideal situation. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why I outfitted the Montana the way I did. Nice. I think it's really cool to talk with you, Chris, because I think your the job that pays most of the bills is not something that's entrepreneurial. However, in order for you to better serve your customers for your day job, incorporate your love for teaching and then doing DIY projects, you've 
you've kind of used all that and conglomerated together to then do your YouTube channel, Why Not RV. I think it's really cool that you're using the entrepreneurial aspect of all the things you love to then support the things that majority pays the bills. What got you into YouTube? Why YouTube? Why not writing a book? Why not doing a blog? Why did you decide to do video? Um, I think I mainly chose to do video because I'm a visual type of learner and a visual type of teacher. Like I said, when I taught martial arts, it's it's extremely hands-on and it's just my teaching style. I'm definitely not a writer. Um, by any means, which is why like I don't have a, a any kind of blog that I kind of go more in detail on some videos, which would better serve some people. And I really wish I was better at it. Maybe in the future I will. But right now, the videos has just been my best avenue for how I can teach people just because just of my own teaching style and nothing really else. And so what things do you focus on in your videos? If someone's going to go to your channel, what can they expect to see? So uh, the main thing is just trying to help other RVers learn from the basics to some extremely advanced solar and electrical type of stuff. I have several playlists that I try my best to put videos in playlists based on what the viewer needs, right? If you're a newbie and you're just looking to figure out how to hook up power and water, I got videos on that. How? What, what are some of the first things I need to buy in an RV? What's the difference between a surge protector and an EMS device? You know, these, these things that people that have never RV'd before are like dumbfounded by the amount of things that are out there, products that the dealership told you nothing about. The dealership sells you a dream of driving off into the rainbow sunset and never looking back, right? But the reality is you have a lot of stuff to deal with. You have water in, water out, the electrical side of things, which you got to keep everything safe in that RV. Um, So I have a lot of videos on that type of stuff to try and help people with just the basics. And then now, I've learned that a lot of people that are gravitating towards my channel are more looking at the solar, the install process. Why do you pick series over parallel and what is series versus parallel, stuff like that. So I'm trying to start to move my channel in that direction of more of a solar and battery inverter type of thing while still providing you know the basics, of course. And I'll talk about some industry updates here and there, but there's other channels that are more suited for that. You know, that, are, that that's all that they do. Like I said, I'm trying trying to move it more towards that RV solar and how to be off grid and what does it really mean and what solar do you need versus what your neighbor needs and what are you able to do with that type of thing, stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Some of the things that you've done with your rig allow you to do your day job better, but then it also allows you to then demonstrate these practices and these principles that you need for work that other people need to get out to go out West and just be in the middle of BLM land for months at a time, the same practices and principles apply. You just have the motivation of, Hey, I needed to do this so I can go do to my job, which allows you to get it done faster, you know, justify recording it and sharing that experience. And so I think that that setup is really cool and that you have a reason, a, a daily practical reason to share something in addition to just recreation. We've talked about it a little bit, and for someone who's interested in solar stuff, give us the the one-minute stats on, on what you've done with the, the new rig. <laughs> okay, so um, I have a 2022 Keystone Montana 3931FB. I have basically outfitted it with 5,320 watts of solar, <laughs> a 36-kilowatt-hour lithium battery setup, which for the 12-volt world, that's like equivalent of about 2,500 amp hours of 12-volt batteries. Now, I have that set up in a 48-volt 
configuration, which feeds my dual Victron Quattro inverters. And that feeds the entire rig, both 120 and 240, because I do have a 240 volt mini split, which is my primary air conditioning. And then I have a 240 volt washer in the residential style washer dryer. And let's see, I think that's, that's pretty much it going top to bottom for, for the solar and the battery bank and how it's, everything's powered. And so there, if someone is interested in checking out the entire setup and learning more about solar, they can definitely go and see some of the videos on your channel. At what point did you know that Why Not RV was going to be more than just sharing some of the things that you're interested in, adding a few solar panels to your previous RV? At what point did you know, hey, this could actually make me some money. I can take something I'm passionate about and turn it into an entrepreneurial venue. And as you stated earlier in the interview, you know, is the reason that you were able to justify and, and finance the new RV? Yeah, so that was pretty much middle of last summer. The channel really started to grow quite quickly and was getting a lot of views on a few of my a few of my videos were just getting very consistent, heavy flow views. And I realized, wow, if I actually do continue to produce some good high quality content that people really need, this channel is going to build build itself over the years and continue to be a resource for myself financially and a resource for the RV community going forward because I was getting tons of companies reaching out to me wanting me to do reviews on their inverters and on their mm -hmm. batteries and on their DC to DC chargers. And at the time, I didn't really have a way of testing all these things because I can only put so much stuff in my own RV. And <laughs> so um, I'm actually on a hunt for our, our new property. And what my goal is, is to basically build a room that I can have a bench test of an RV, essentially a 12 volt electrical system that I can recreate and I can just swap out parts to make videos and show people what these companies are making, talk about the good, bad, and the ugly of, of different things, and hopefully be able to help some people make some better buying decisions whenever it comes down to these major purchases. That's really cool. I think the progression yeah. of, Hey, I I'm doing this cause I enjoy it. It's going to help me to go do this job has then morphed into hey, I want to test all the inverters and I want to have it in a somewhat scientific setup of I'm going to have the same parameters on everything else. We're just going to swap out the inverter. In addition to that, where do you see long-term why not RVing going? Long-term, I do see it kind of going going more down that road of, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Will Prouse. Um, he's an amazing, amazing solar and battery guy on YouTube. But that's kind of the direction I see why not RV going is kind of, similar to his channel, being able to provide testing information on certain products, like we said, inverters or DC to DC chargers without changing any other parameter so that yeah, I can get consistent output of what these things are actually doing and actually performing at so that people can then take those into the real world and make better buying decisions. So I really think that's a, a big direction that the channel is going to go, that whole product and, and testing and, and stuff like that while at the same time, of course, maintaining the same type of thing that I've been doing with projects. If there's any projects I do on my rig or on a friend's rig, I'll show that process because as we know, me installing something on my RV is going to be different than installing on a travel trailer or a motorhome. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to be able to, to show those in motorhomes, in travel trailers, in different situations, but I'm not going to go out and buy them. <laughs> right. But if I can get a hold of, of a friend of mine, uh, that needs something. And I got a product that was sent to me for free. And I can make those videos to be able to show just another way of how something can be done. Because as we know, in, in the RV world and electronics, 
things can be done way more than just one way. Wires can be routed all sorts of different directions. And, and sometimes people just need to see that in a video and say, oh, okay, here's, here's one video showing it done this way and another video showing it done this way. My RV should be somewhere in the middle and let's find out. And, and just being able to show the different scenarios for different people. It sounds like there's a lot of opportunity there, a lot of potential. Have you gone down the mental exercise of figuring out at what point solar and YouTube and testing will take priority as far as like, hey, I no longer have to travel and do insurance adjusting. I can sit in my little lab and then go out and test it in my RV full time. Um, I have thought about that. And of course, that's always always the end goal is to be able to just be completely self-employed and, and have the channel grow that to, to that extent. I've definitely not put it on paper as to like a goal of mine of when that can occur. Just because there's so many things in life this current year that are changing, it's difficult to add that to the mix right now. But I do think within the next year to two years, I will start to really focus in on on that goal and say, okay, here's a reasonable timeline of when I think I can accomplish it. Yeah, for sure. I think if you have not thought about this, something to also consider is courses. Solar is something that as much as you want to go down the rabbit hole of watching YouTube videos, sometimes you find things in the middle of a sequence or you don't have base knowledge of certain terms or practices with electricity and especially within the RV world. I don't, I'm sure you've thought about it, but I would highly consider making an e-course and then having it, you know, like you take people from how many new RVers out there today didn't even know that an RV was on a 12 volt system, the, the most basic 12 volt system, taking them all through adding 5,000 watts of solar, literally adding a second roof to their entire RV. <laughs> could be could be pretty cool and you could offer different offerings for different levels of folks of what they want to get out of it yeah you're so you're actually the second person to uh bring that up with me and, and kind of recommend that that path of a, of a more guided thing because while as we all know you know youtube has limitless information out there it's very difficult to filter through what you actually need to learn first okay i need to watch this video first and then this video and then this video and then this video in order to learn x y and z so yeah making a course that's more guided that can tell people exactly where to start where to end where to go to if they want this information or that is definitely a high, high potential for the future what's your next video on what are you working on currently right now i actually have just launched yesterday what i'm calling solar saturdays so i Yesterday was my first video on it, and I'm going to try and come out every single week with a new video referencing solar. More specifically, of course, RV solar, which entails the whole setup, right? Because people say solar and they think of the solar panels. Well, that's that's just how you're collecting the energy. Where are you storing the energy? How are you using the energy back in the RV? So I, I'm going to go down that path over the next few weeks and start with the basics, trying to make some short, shorter videos that people can just kind of get some good basic understanding of solar, solar panels, solar charge controllers, inverters, know what all those components are. And then from there, I'm going to kind of delve a little bit deeper. Okay. Now we've talked about solar panels. Let's talk about series versus parallel and what that really truly means and what is better for you and your situation and then same thing with charge controllers and inverters and and just kind of get more detailed as the videos go on and hopefully the people that are watching them will be able to see you know, i'm going to label them basically just part one two three four five six seven eight so on and so forth and hopefully that will give some people uh, an easy route to to watch some videos on on rv solar and just whatever they want to stop and say, okay, I've gained enough knowledge. I don't need to go 
this far down the rabbit hole. I understand the basics. I'm good. Or someone that says, I already know the basics. Let's what's what's some of the more advanced stuff, and they can just skip right ahead to more advanced stuff. So that's the big thing I'm working on is that new segment. And then I'm still maintaining my regular weekly Sunday videos, um, which <laughs> right now is actually a today com comes out a video about my first breakdown on my truck <laughs> that we talked about earlier. Which actually I don't think we were, we were recording at that time, but things happen on the road, and you know what do you do when your truck breaks down? So that's a video that comes out today. And next week will probably be part two, considering, like I said, I had a two-part issue there on my truck. <laughs> yeah, we weren't recording at that point. And so I'm, your truck is currently in the shop. And I hope by the release of the next episode that you have a resolution in place and that you're back, back up and running. Yep, uh, so do I. <laughs> so again, I think it's really cool to highlight how you've got a nine-to-five job that's paying the bills and you're using the opportunities that that provides to then take your love of teaching and turn it into an entrepreneurial venue of something that you're providing value for folks. We also have a creative outlet and you're also getting paid for it. I think it's really cool. And I think it's a really good example for folks out there who are interested in RVing. Not everybody is hundred percent suited from a clean cut, working a corporate job, quitting next day, starting an entire self-serving business. I think it's right. no, not necessarily the best path for anyone. And it, definitely is mentally exhausting to even consider doing that. So I think the way that you're demonstrating it of, hey, I've got this, this is the reason that I can do certain things, financial resources, but it funds this. And for you, a YouTube channel of teaching about RVs and about solar, I can definitely see the progression of your passion for teaching increasing and allowing you to go more entrepreneurial with that and then dialing back the other things in your life as that starts to pick up. I think it's really cool and it's a really good example for folks of, hey, here's a way to phase in and out a switch in your life. And so right. I really appreciate you you jumping on here and, and talking with us. Chris, if someone wants to go check out your RV YouTube channel, where can they do that? What's the best place to get a hold of you online? Uh, so you can just type right in why not rvusa.com and that takes you right to my YouTube channel. Of course you can just Google and you can just get on YouTube and type in why not RV and I, I typically pop up as as the first result there. So that's the best way to get on there. And if anyone wants to email me um, having questions about solar, about this, that, uh, I do offer consultation services and my email is why not RV at yahoo.com. Cool. Chris, thanks for being on the podcast. Absolutely Joshua. Thanks so much. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Chris Reed from Why Not RV. He's a super cool guy. I've been interacting with him a lot in the RV content creators group, uh, just talking about YouTube stuff and content creation. And the first time I saw a photo of his brand new Montana with the solar setup on there, it just blows your mind. Picture this. You've got a big fifth wheel with basically a roof on top of it. So he's got a structure that's built above the air conditioners and the entire roof of his fifth wheel is solar panels. It makes for a super cool drone shot. And it, again, at first I was like, man, why does anybody really need that much solar? Like it's cool. It's really awesome to be off grid, but talking to him more through this conversation, it's really cool to highlight how the RV life can support other things in your life. You know, he needs a self-contained RV to go in places that literally have no services available after a catastrophe. A hurricane hits, there's unclean water, no power, all these different things, he can just drive right in with the power of the sun, be totally self-contained power-wise. Fifth wheel's got enough capacity to go a couple days, maybe a few weeks for just the two of them. And then, you know, with the truck, he can bring 
wastewater out, clean water in, and be totally self-contained. And I think it's really cool that he's sharing that on his YouTube channel. So again, it's, it's an interesting concept to me that although his day job is not entrepreneurial by nature, he's taken things from his day job and necessities and pain points in his life and created something entrepreneurial about it. He's got a side hustle that's allowing him to educate people, share his knowledge, experiment, all these different things that people talk about, oh, I wish I could do this someday. Well, you don't necessarily have to quit your nine to five in order for that to be possible. The side hustle is a great way to start and take a point out of Chris's book. Find a pain point in your life, in your current job, in your current situation that maybe the RV lifestyle or the entrepreneurial lifestyle can aim to alleviate some of that stress or, or ease a pain point. And just overall, I'm, I, it kind of gives me the fizz of how people are taking things that aren't necessarily entrepreneurial and finding ways to make them entrepreneurial. I think if you go down and ask you know, the question, why enough times or how can I do this enough times, eventually you can find a place where you can add value to the market and you can add value to the community. Start there. And so if you're interested in checking out Chris and his YouTube videos, I'll make sure to put links to all of that in the episode description. If you want to have a conversation and ask some questions about how maybe you could get into an entrepreneurial venture, jump on over to the Facebook group. The RVEntrepreneur.com slash Facebook group will take you there and ask a question. Say, this is my situation. This is what I'm trying to get. There's A and Z. Help me figure out the points in between. And there's tons of people, almost 20,000 people in there that can get perspectives and insight to help you craft the life you want. Don't forget that the RV Entrepreneur Summit, September 7th through 11th in Montrose, Colorado is happening this year. Tickets are currently on sale. You can go to the rventrepreneur.com slash summit. Find out all of the details there and register for the event. I'm excited that some of you are already signing up and that we're going to see a great group of folks out in Montrose this fall. And if you would like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who would, go ahead and fill out the guest form, the rventrepreneur.com slash guest form. And we'll make sure to get in touch and see if you're a good fit for the show. Until next time, I'm Joshua, and you're listening to The RV Entrepreneur. Happy trails.